Hi there. Welcome back to the 2022 summer season of 76 West, a podcast from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. Conversations at the JCC are made possible by Zabars and Zabars.com. I'm Jason Blitman from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas, and on today's episode, I talk to best-selling author Erica L. Sanchez about her memoir and essays, Crying in the Bathroom, which Kirkus Reviews calls a rewarding debut memoir in which a sensitive soul finds salvation in poetry and a life in literature. Erica L. Sanchez is a Mexican-American poet, novelist, and essayist. Her debut poetry collection, Lessons on Expulsion, was a finalist for the PEN America Open Book Award. Her debut young adult novel, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, was a New York Times bestseller and a National Book Awards finalist. It's now being made into a film directed by America Ferreira. Sanchez was a 2017 to 2019 Princeton Arts Fellow, a 2018 recipient of the 21st Century Award from the Chicago Public Library Foundation, and a 2019 recipient of the National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship. A note before we begin. There are brief moments of profanity in this episode, and so in turn, listener discretion is advised. And now, please enjoy my conversation with Erica L. Sanchez. Hi, Erica. Hi. To ignore the book for one second, I need to ask the most important question that I will probably ask on this whole episode. What is your favorite Chicago pizza? Ooh. We have to get it out of the way. Okay, I need to well, know if we're going to be compatible. I feel like there's always a wrong answer, and I'm afraid that it's... <laughs> but it is Lou Malnati's, because... Okay. Y- you feel okay it. about it. I do, I do. Okay. So I, I lived for a while um, uh, near the one in Lincoln Park. Yeah, yeah. Like... I drive past it on the way. <laughs> <laughs> It was, that was my first real dip into Chicago pizza. And so it, it has a very important place in my heart. Oh, I good. am, I am a Giordano's guy. <gasps> See, um, I don't like Giordano's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a Pequod's guy, I guess. Oh, Pequod's, yes. Yes. Okay. So that could be our, the center of our Venn diagram. Yeah. Yeah. We can one day eat pizza there together. I look forward to it. <laughs> It's been a long time since I've been to Chicago. I'm long overdue. Now that the important question is out of the way, you know, so first I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for like putting your heart and soul and telling your story. I think it's just so important to hear. And, you know, I, as, as I was waxing poetic on how much I was enjoying it, I, I think I also was surprised at how much I related to it. And I, and I, there is some element of universality. Is that a word? right now universality to it it's very a universal yet obviously tremendously specific story but I just Mm -hmm. think that um so I just wanted to you know first and foremost say thank you thank you Um, that was my hope yeah it it was it meant a lot to me so typically I would ask folks like where they come from tell us a little bit about themselves but you know all of it well I was gonna say not just I know all of it but like spoiler alert crying in the bathroom tells all of it so our listeners should just if you want to know more about erica if you want to know everything about erica <laughs> listen read the book so how did it come to be so following i'm not your perfect mexican daughter yeah so i i finished that i sold it and i was like oh god what am i going to do next because i i always need a project or else i'm miserable someone had asked me to write a book i mean an essay on ambition for this anthology uh, about women and ambition. And so I wrote this piece 
they made me revise it. I don't know how many times it was really frustrating, but they were just like, this is really about your mom. Like you need to just go deeper in, in, in that like vein. And I didn't want to because it's painful. And I, I just, I was like, no, this is about a job. Like this is not about my mother. Um, but the more that I fought it, the more I realized that it was true that I needed to like write about my relationship with her because it, it's like the foundation of so much for me. And so, um, you know, I wrote that. It felt very cathartic. Crying in the bathroom was the 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 piece. Um, and the essay. The, so the crying essay. in the bathroom, the book is a book of essays, is a memoir of essays. Yeah. And one of the essays is titled Crying in the Bathroom. So that right. was the first one you wrote. That was the first one I wrote. And I just kind of took it from there because it felt so liberating to write the truth. I wanted to be seen and I wanted to connect. And, and that's what writing for me is all about is like asserting who I am, but also like um, connecting with other people because it makes me feel much less lonely. Just started writing about things that I feel very, very deeply about because that's mm. always like a good recipe for literature, I think, is is writing what. Like, uh, this is painful and scary. I guess I'm gonna keep going. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. if I find a, a wound, like I go into it because <laughs> I'm like, well, what's what's in there? You know, what can I do with this? And it's it's my way of just like healing, honestly. I don't know. I mean, I, I have therapy as well. There's like all these other things that I do, but writing for me has always been since I started to do it a, a way for me to um, feel just like I could be myself that I can, you know, put together many different things and, and, and talk about and write about things that are like unexpected and very culturally specific and, um, I, I've never had a, a problem with like scandalizing people. So that's why I think um, this book wasn't like, it was excruciating to write, you know, but it doesn't really scare me so much that people are gonna read about my life. Sure. I'm, I'm like, this is a good fucking book. So. <laughs> <laughs> but so then objectively, how are, you, how are you able to write it, get it all on the page and then say like, okay, now from a, logistics perspective I need to take these essays and like craft a book from it uh like yeah. even just like in the sticking them in a in an order sort of way yeah I, I tried to put them in an order that was somewhat chronological because I wanted mm-hmm. it to have somewhat of an arc even though it was essays and then that turned out to be great because then my publisher was like this is a memoir and I was like all right fine <laughs> Sure. Um, That's not what I had intended. I just wanted to write about topics that were really important to me um, in a a very intimate, personal way. And then somehow it ended up being a a story. And um, and there's an overarching um, narrative that I'm sure you noticed. Um, But it's not a traditional sort of like... um, like fictional story where there's like a climax and then right. the falling action, all that. Like, I mean, there is, but it, it it's kind of implied. 
Sure. No. Right. Each each essay has a beginning, middle, and an end, and they're strategically placed throughout the book to give you a semblance of that feeling. Yeah, that was really hard. It was really <laughs> a puzzle. And I was like, well, you know, how am I gonna put this all together? And I just, you know, wrestled with it. I, I do a lot of um like printing out and 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 maneuvering like on the floor I'll place all my poems or my essays and then I just I try to see how it looks um what how to juxtapose certain things that I think are interesting um and so there was just a lot of like play with that and you know a lot of that's just very instinctual for me having Mm. read so much and like thought about stories at some point you talk about tapping into your former journals in order to write some of these essays. You also say that we all see different versions of the same thing, which I think is a really cool thing. We're all individuals. We all not only have our own literal different pairs of eyes, mm-hmm. you know, people say like, oh, blue to me might be different than blue to you, but we all agree that it's the same thing. Yeah. But we also deeply are different humans. Did you find that as you were reflecting back at some of your journals, did you see things perhaps in a different way or a new way? from when you maybe first experienced it? Or did it really just kind of break open a wound? I think it broke open a wound. There were moments that surprised me where I was just like, I don't remember seeing that or thinking that. Or there was one notebook that I had in the hospital that I, you know, I wrote a note to myself in. It was really grim, you know, it was really depressing. And I didn't, I forgot about that, you know, I forgot that I had written a note in case something happened to me, you know? And um, my, my husband saw it because, like, I had it laying on my desk, and he's like, this was really devastating. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. I didn't mean for him to see it, but he did. Um, and he also had a really hard time reading a lot of it because, sure. you know, we're so close. That was intense, and a lot of it was also based on memory. And, you know, memory is very tricky and what what i remember isn't always what the other person remembers you know and and if we were to ask my ex-boyfriend like if this is accurate i'm sure he's gonna say no but it's that's what i remember that's the truth that i hold um i'm sure he'd be like afraid to admit that this is what actually happened so like it didn't even worry me i'm like this is my truth you can disagree. This is like the closest thing I can get to the literal truth. Um, And I might get it wrong sometimes, but my intention is, is, is to be completely transparent and honest. Yeah. I love that. You also talk a lot about your family, all your whole family. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, you also talk about that. I was so so intrigued by your family's sense of humor and how to an outsider it might come across as like callous or damaging yeah (laughs) and you you certainly gave some examples and can you talk a little bit about how that shaped you unpack it a tiny bit so that our listeners can kind of understand that a little bit more yeah so Mexicans joke all the time in all circumstances and I think we do that as a people because at least poor Mexicans, I don't know about the rest, but, but we poor Mexicans, uh, we, we 
have to find the humor in the absurd, in the um, unjust, in, you know, how, how ridiculously hard life can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sensibility has served to me well because I've been able to, to really find a way to survive through that where I, to me, everything is up for grabs, you know, like, <laughs> mostly. What came across on the page is that, you know, you explained it, described it, and I think some people might interpret it as, oh, that means you you grew thick skin, but I don't, but it wasn't even that. It was, it was, it shifted your perspective. It shifted your worldview. It was so much more than needed to tough through it. Oh, I can take it. Right. It wasn't just that it was, Oh, I'm going to change the way I see the world based on how you as a family see the world and experience your humor. Yeah, no, it's, it's helpful because it's just, it, it makes me grounded. It makes me remember that like being alive and being a human is just kind of absurd, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't take myself very seriously. I think I, I do important things, but I, as a person, I'm, I'm not a serious person, you know? Sure. I have to live that way because otherwise I feel like I'm just already dead, you know, like, can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't go on. And so it's been really interesting to, to see how people have reacted to my humor in, in the novel. And then also this memoir, because, you know, there've been times where I'm like, well, this is funny to me. <laughs> like, I don't know how it's going to translate. I mean, um, it's so funny, you know, watching some of your your other interviews or presentations, you are so unassuming and you come, oh. and, but reading the book, I can't even tell you the amount of times I truly laughed out loud. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to say, tell any of the moments that I laughed out loud, but there were so many of them. Thank you. Um, and it was just so, so funny. And so it was, it tickles me because even looking at you right now, it's like you don't expect a one-two punch from you, which is what oh. a lot of the book really, really is. <laughs> so funny. And then <laughs> in one paragraph, you're like laughing hysterically. And then you're talking about something tremendously serious. And it's really um, not even jarring because it, it this, it's so seamless. But you're like, oh my God. And now all of a sudden I'm like, deeply moved in a, in a whole new way. So that was, it was fun to get to know you in that way. Thank you. you know, thinking Not about- Not everyone humor. loves it, by the way. <laughs> Not everyone loves your humor or loves the bug. Or, or my vibe, you know? Oh. Like some people are like, oh, she's too much, whatever. I mean, we're all acquired tastes. We're all individuals. And if we're not, true. you know, our authentic self, then what, what are, what's the point of what do yeah. we bring to the table in the world? So exactly, exactly. I'm okay with with that. I'm just like, well, I'm I'm acquired. <laughs> I I don't I don't aim to please everybody. Sure. People often find me very brash or you know aggressive or what are the other words used to describe me? Let's see. Right. I'm like thinking of all the things that boyfriends have said to me, partners. Just. I was always too much, you know. I was, I was just going to say, too, the idea of being too much and not just you. Like, I think in general, people don't know how to carry too much. And it's it's like, well, you better go to the gym because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I'm too saying. much and you gotta, you got to carry me. It's, it'll be fine. 
Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't like it, that's fine because a lot right. of other people like exactly. it. So. Exactly. I mean, thinking about humor, you know, it was so interesting uh, what you were what you talk about in the book in terms of, of men and looking for a partner and how men want to find a partner who thinks they're funny mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily need a partner who's funny. And it had me very self-reflective because my husband is very funny and I was very funny before I met him. And I get upset all the time because he's so much funnier than me. And I'm like, you stole my funny. Yeah. I'm not funny anymore. <laughs> oh my God, we can relate to that uh, together because my husband's fucking hilarious. Like he was a professional comedian and oh. like, was like, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but he's still hilarious. And so, yeah, people um, are always delighted by him, you know, and, yeah. and I think that's great. But yeah, there are times where I'm like, I used to be the funny one. I used to be the freaking funny one and I'm so mad about it, but <laughs> I'm grateful that we can still make each other laugh. And like, especially after a, a pandemic where we spent every day together, oh, I'm grateful yeah. that, you know, we can still laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm grateful for it. I mean, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but if he gave some back to you, you wouldn't be mad about it for our listeners who are, haven't, uh, read about the book. Um, Erica dives into every aspect of her life from her childhood to her uh, battling and and persevering through depression. Um, and it was it was inspiring to read. And and that sounds so condescending. And I certainly don't mean it to be. <laughs> I didn't take it like you're that. inspiring. Ugh, gross. I hate <laughs> that I just said that. But it was it was you know. Uh, there's a, a website called Post Secret. I don't know if you're familiar. Yes, with it. I remember that. Is it yeah, still? It's still a thing. <gasps> it's still kicking. Oh my god! Um, but so for those who don't know, Post Secret is uh, this man named Frank. He started uh, this movement where people could send in a postcard uh, sharing a secret of theirs, and he posts it on a blog. And the point of it is to kind of show that we are as people not alone and we are all going through the same things together, even though we're all drastically different. And I think this, this book um, taps into that idea. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you and I couldn't be more different, although we probably could be more different. But, but <laughs> on, on the surface, you know, I, we are very different humans and the, the things that I felt like we could relate to together and had a shared experience with was very interesting. Um, I mean, even people commenting about my big lips, uh, <laughs> uh, the amount of times so people, people so well, and people have said to me like, oh, what are you? Oh, are you half black? Oh, what's your, oh and I'm just God. like, I, I'm i not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of those things or if, that, if those answers were yes. But yeah. the fact that people even think that it's okay to ask a question like that is shocking. Yeah. Or the women in, who would say, oh, the amount of money I would pay a, a plastic surgeon to get lips like yours. I'm just like, that, why is that an okay thing to say? No, it's not. No one better tell me that shit because I'm going to flip a table over. Yeah, and you'll punch them in the face. You're from Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a nasty, nasty accent. (laughs) I can't help it. That's just who I am. Do you consider yourself a poet first? Yes. Yeah. I, I 
don't know how intentional some of the, uh, what I will say in quotes, poetry was in the book, but knowing that you are a poet, um, I found myself finding moments of poetry throughout the book. And um, there was one specific line that I might have put on myself, but I'll tell you just in case it it was my brain and not unintentional. Um, You were talking about getting through college kind of on your own. And the way you phrased it was you pulled through alone. Mm -hmm. And the word alone, A-L-O-N-E, I just found it was so interesting that it could also have been A space L-O-A-N. Like you pulled through a loan, like a student loan. And I was like, I'm sure I'm placing this on Erica, but knowing that she's a poet, I'm just deciding that this is like as lyrically beautiful as I'm making it out to be. You know, that was not intentional, but I'm going to say it was subconscious. You You can take it. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Well, no, and even if, well, that was interesting because I was like, okay, Erica clearly is a poet first, because even if some of these lines are not intentionally poetic, you can, that is clearly your sensibility. And so it was, it was a beautiful read. Thank you for noticing. Yeah. Lots of like poetic sentences. Um, You mentioned in some of your interviews that you were very inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) I know. Isn't that weird? (laughs) Uh, well, not weird. I one of my I was I'm like I was like oh I want to ask her about that. T- can you tell me what uh, what was it about his work that inspired you? Also, something you could take is poetry. Oh boy, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm just giving you gold. I today. was with you until you said that. Um, How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. I never would have thought of it. Well, it was so nice meeting you. Have a great rest <laughs> of your. T- <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Edgar Allan Poe was like this gloomy motherfucker, right? And he was just how you would describe yourself. Uh, for a long time, yeah. <laughs> In chunks yeah. of the book, I might say. Yeah, for sure. There was a darkness to his poetry that I really connected to because I felt so lonely as a child. Like I I had this huge imagination. No one really could understand it. And um I think it was hard for my parents to really encourage it because they just didn't know what to do with me. And, you know, they were like, they were poor, they were working in factories, they had like such obstacles in their lives. And so like my intellectual and creative growth wasn't like at the top of their list necessarily, but it was, that's just who I was. Like I, I was an artist always, like I, I was born this way. I know that. Um, And so when I read Edgar Allan Poe, I felt like really seen by that. Um, There were some poems he wrote about like solitude and, um, you know, feeling alienated. And, you know, at 12 years old, I was like, yep, that's how I feel. Um, And so I, I made this like very deep connection to his work and I felt very moved by it because I had never read anything like it. I wasn't exposed to a lot of literature. And so also the musicality, the beauty of the language, I was just really excited by that um, because I was a reader. 12 years old too, to appreciate that is very Yeah, I was strange. (laughs) Oh, it's fantastic. (laughs) You talk about your Buddhism and I, it was so fascinating to read that you discovered 
you were Buddhism. You or you were uh, you were Buddhism. You, you, <laughs> you discovered you were Buddhist and realizing you were a practicing Buddhist without even knowing it. How did that feel? What was that like to you? It just clicked. It all yeah. made sense. It was like the thing that I was looking for for such a long time because I had so many questions about life and the meaning of it all and like why are we here what the fuck am I doing why Mm -hmm. like why am I alive I asked myself all the time Mm -hmm. because it felt like who I wanted to be wasn't allowed to be you know and I, I I just didn't know how to like put it all together and you know Catholicism made me feel terrible about myself as a woman so that was not working and then when I you know met my friend Jackson who I'm still very close to um he he just introduced me to this world and it made perfect sense to me I was like oh yeah cause and effect kindness Mm. mindfulness you know like things that should be part of our everyday lives but we don't actually think about um or intentionally practice intentionally right yeah like you know everything changes i i can't like be upset when when things change because that's just the nature of uh, you know life everything is gonna change so you just you kind of come to terms with a lot of stuff and also death i'm like okay Hopefully I live for a long time, but like the thought of death doesn't really scare me. Cause I feel like I'm, I don't, I'm not going to disappear. Right. You know, I mean, no, not only will you not disappear, you're, you are now in so many of us having shared yourself Aww. with people, you know, so um, <laughs> there are things I didn't learn until, until after reading your book, there are a lot of practicing Buddhists who also identify as Jews and hey. they call themselves Jubus. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. Which was very interesting to me. I was like, Oh, I need to learn more about the like Jewish Buddhist crossover I think there's a lot of questioning in both of in both practicing Um, yeah it's not incompatible with other stuff it's like totally you know be be nice (laughs) (laughs) you know right just like basic things don't suck yeah um and do you feel like your book is an act of buddhism writing to make the world a better place oh I didn't even think of that but I I guess so. Now that you put it in that way, I I love that notion. I mean, if this book could change people in in ways that are positive, like I feel that my life is is so meaningful because like my words have just lived inside people. They, they, they continue to, and they, have perhaps changed the way that people live, you know? And so Mm -hmm. that to me is amazing. And I don't take it lightly. I think about this a lot. I'm like, people really listen to the shit that I say now. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Always the case as a a child, but, but now I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I need to be really careful with what I say because it's, uh, it holds a lot of weight. It, and I, I think about that in my teaching because 
I know that I can have like a huge impact, negative or positive on these young people. And I, I want them to, to feel like safe. I want them to feel seen. I want them to feel like they can be themselves. And, and that has been also very liberating to me. It's, it's very healing because I didn't really have that as a young person. No one was, was in my life telling me that, you know, it was okay to be who I was. And so, you know, I, I get these students who, um, going through so many different things and and they're just like thank you for making this a safe space for us and I'm just like fuck man like this is so beautiful like I'm so honored you know I that's what I strive for wow. um and so it's it's a responsibility that I I really do think about a lot speaking of responsibility you mentioned um that working class women who have inherited inherent gifts but need to suppress them that's something you bring up in the book do you feel added pressure to because you have a voice to to be a voice for the voiceless or to be to share yourself in a way other people aren't able to yeah I have such an, a, a privilege and advantage like it, it, in my family I'm the first woman to like be able to go to school truly my mom has a sixth grade education and she feels really ashamed about that, even though it's not her fault. Mm-hmm. And um, she has a, a really hard time expressing herself because she's never really um, found ways to do that. And so I saw that growing up and I was like, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to like feel like I have to fold myself up. And so I, I made, you know, writing and reading my my life raft because I felt that if I didn't speak these things out loud, I was going to disappear. I was going to just fucking die. (laughs) Honestly, it just, I felt like I had no choices. And, you know, when you're a young woman, that's really scary to feel like you're not allowed to be who you are, you know? And so um, once I like fought for this education that I now have, I realized like, it's not just about me. It's about a lot of people who are like me, who have not had the chance to say these things out loud, uh, to challenge the world, the status quo. And, um, you know, I don't want to speak for them necessarily, but I want them, I want to bring attention to things that, that are really important, um, that a lot of people don't really care about, um, yeah, and, and I think about working class women all the time and how it must feel to not have choices oftentimes to not be able to like do things you want to do because you don't have the money, you don't have the time, you have kids, you have to take care of everybody. I, I saw that as a child and I, I just realized like this isn't how I want to live. Yeah. But yeah, there is a sense of responsibility there for sure. As Jews, I said we love to question things. We have lots of questions. And traditionally uh, for Passover, we have four questions. So I have completely unrelated to Passover, four questions to ask you. Sure. What is a book that changed your life? When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron, which is referenced in the book, mm-hmm. once I started to recover from my depression, like it really helped me make meaning out of my suffering. Mm-hmm. And I'll always remember that. And actually my mom had suggested it. I couldn't read it in Spanish because I'm, I'm, I'm too, um, like, I'm, I'm not as advanced of a reader in Spanish. And um, I got the, 
the English version and I just kind of like, like there was a zipper in my head and then I just like opened it and I don't know, knowledge came pouring in. It was amazing. If you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Okay, um, tacos. Cause mm. I mean, how would I live without that? Amen. Yeah, what kind I of agree. life is that? <laughs> what kind of life is that without <laughs> tacos? Sorry, Lumonatis. <laughs> Who's a teacher that had a big impact on you? You know, the freshman year of high school, Mr. Sislow uh, noticed that I was a good writer and mm-hmm. really, really encouraged me. And he would make me like these packets of poetry that he thought I would like. And he really went out of his way to to encourage my my love of reading and, and poetry in particular. And he would like, you know, tell me about readings in the city and he would tell me about music that he thought I would like. It was, it was just so amazing to have someone like really see me, you know, at that age. So yeah, he was great. He was really great. Definitely not Professor Hofer. Fuck you, Professor <laughs> You don't even tell us why in the book, but you do know something about him. And I'm like, oh, I kind of want to ask, but I'm just going to let it be. It'll just be a story for, for Erica to tell. I thought it would time. be a funny aside because, like, I hate him. Right. And I'm petty. So That's fine. Totally. You yes, know. you earned it. But he's <laughs> not a person that changed. He did not. He's not a teacher that changed your life. No. Um... Uh, uh what is something on your bucket list that you have or haven't done you know i love traveling so much and uh during the pandemic i mean i was pregnant and then i had a baby so like, there was no way i was going anywhere regardless but it was just hard not to be able to like even dream of like where to go next so i'm like when is this gonna end uh, but now that things are somewhat more reasonable i don't even know what to say um i know i want to i want to go to yes yeah whatever that means um i'd like to go to greece i've always wanted to go ever since i was in high school Mm. and um i was gonna go with my husband this summer but it just it didn't i i I didn't want to go somewhere so far away from my daughter so we're going to mexico instead and um that's okay yeah, no, I'll get to Greece. It's just, I'm like, I need a longer vacation for Greece. That's a long flight. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like 11 or 12 hours or something. It's very long. Yeah, like I'll get there and then have to come back. <laughs> nope, no, you deserve a long, t- you, you're going to island hop. It'll be amazing. Ooh, can't wait. Um, In your poem, Sodad, you say, am I asking to be spared or am I asking to be spread? And I felt that that was among the many feces in the book and crying in the bathroom. Oh, wow. I just was like, uh, is Erica asking to be spared? Is she asking to be spread? And I feel like it was, it is both of those things. You are sharing yourself, you are spreading yourself and you are sparing yourself. And it was just so beautiful to have read that and then read the poem and, and kind of connect these dots that again, oh, wow. probably unintentional, but like, no, no, I, I love it. are so deep it. in you. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I'm sad to not be able to continue to talk to you forever. I, you you (laughs) are a delight. Um, I also want to talk to you about all things Chicago. It's such a pleasure. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Everybody read Crying in the Bathroom. It's so fantastic. Congratulations. Mazel Thank tov. you so much. It was and we look, we look forward pleasure. to the next one. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening. Crying in the Bathroom by Erica L. Sanchez is on sale now. And as always, you can pick up your copy wherever books are sold. This podcast is produced by Udi Ehrman and me, Jason Blitman. Our editor is Matt Temkin with music written and performed by Peril Wolf. 76 West Summer Podcast Series will release its final episode of the season in two weeks. Make sure to check out our other episodes if you haven't had a chance to listen and like and subscribe so you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. Until next time. <laughs>